Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? You know, sometimes the Lord will ask you to do things that are uncomfortable. He'll ask you to do things that sometimes don't even make sense. He'll ask you to do things sometimes, and you wonder, God, do you even know what you're asking me to do? And sometimes it's hard to obey what he asks you to do, but I'm telling you, when you step out in faith and you do what he asks you to do, there's always something good on the other side. And today I want to talk to you about living that obedient life that God has called his people to live. He, he wants us to live at the right perspective of who he is and what he's done in our life. And we're continuing a series called Set Apart. The last three weeks we've really been talking about God's part of holiness. And then we, last week was small group uh, formation day. And so we had a great small group launch day. But today I want to talk, I want to center this in on you on a personal level. God has called each and every one of you, and you may not realize this, but he's, he's been calling to you for your whole life. Some of you have answered that call. Some of you have ignored the call. Some of you haven't even noticed him calling. He's been sending out signals for you. He's been trying to get your attention, but yet you haven't really paid attention to what he's doing in your life or hadn't paid attention to who he is. So often we look for God in all the wrong places and we come up empty a lot of times, but he's right there always calling to you. And so today I want to look at a, a passage of scripture in Exodus. It's, it's, a, it's a story of Moses. And I think if we look at the story of Moses, we can really look at our condition and we can understand that, that God still calls his people, that still, God still has a plan. And through this burning bush experience that Moses has, I think we can all learn something through it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. We're going to read that together. If you want to go ahead and stand while I read that. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he, he covered his face as soon as he heard that, because he was afraid to look at God. And then verse 12, God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Father God, I pray that this message would speak to somebody's heart today, God. Lord, let this be a burning bush day for them, God. Let them look up and see you calling out to them. See the signal flares that have been trying to track them down all their lives. God, that they would walk in your purposes, that they would take the first step, Lord, that they would turn their eyes to see you. And God, they would take that first step toward you. And that as they walk toward you, God, you would speak their name and say, come, Come to me and take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Father God, I pray that they realize that, they, that you are in them, you are with them, and that your presence goes before them. God, that they are in fact holy ground, and everywhere they step is holy ground. Lord, I pray, Lord, today that this, this message permeates the hearts of the hearers. God, help this messenger today. God, as broken, as a broken vessel, God, let me just speak your words today, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. May have a seat. As we dive into what it looks like to live a set-apart life, a life filled with holiness, our, our main passage is 1 Peter 1 for this whole series. And each Sunday, we're going to take a part of this and kind of break it down. Today, I want to break down the obedience part. And so in 1 Peter 1.13, it reads this, to so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. This is talking about his return. And so Peter's reminding us, reminding the people to prepare your minds for action, to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded, to be busy doing the work of God while you're here. He's saying the time is short. You can just look around the news, you know the time is short. Since the time Christ left, since his ascension, and he assigned the church to go and proclaim the gospel and to disciple people, the clock has been ticking, and we know the clock is getting faster. And so what do we do in these times? Peter says this, prepare your minds for actions, be self-controlled, pay attention to what's going on, be aware. And he goes, put all your hope in Christ, that's where our hope is. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. We've been talking about this impossible task. It seems impossible to be holy as God who chose you is holy. I mean, I can't be God. I'm not God. I'm not even close to God. We realized this for the last couple of weeks. It's impossible to be like God, but God has made it possible for us to be holy through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes us holy. It's nothing we do. And so Peter is just telling us and he's telling you today, just live up to that holiness. Live up to what God's already put in you. Do what he's asked you to do. Live in obedience. And as walk as obedient children, don't fall back into the old patterns of life and and so many of us, we fall back to that old pattern. And here we are again saying, God, how did I get here? How did I get back in this place? How did I get back to this, this moment? And maybe even Moses in this moment was probably thinking, how did I get back to this place? If you don't know anything about the story of Moses, as you read in scripture, the beginning of Exodus, Moses is born. He's supposed to be killed. He's one of the sons of Israel. He was supposed to be killed, but some, some nurses took him in and they put him in a basket and they sent him down. The river, probably ask your kids if they're in kids' church. They probably know this story. And lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter found him. It was a setup from God. And Pharaoh's daughter takes care of Moses, and he grows up in the palace. And he's there for almost 40 years. 
And then one day he's out and he's walking around. He sees some Egyptian slave masters beating some Israelites, treating them poorly. And he finds out that he knows that he's also Israelite. And so he takes matters into his own hands. He assigns himself as the, the savior of these people. He takes it in his own hands. He kills the slave master, buries him in the sand, hoping nobody would see. He comes back later, a few days, weeks, doesn't say exactly how long, but he shows back up. He sees two Israelites scuffling and getting, getting in, about to fight. And he tells him, hey, knock it off. And the Israelites look at Moses and say, who are you, Moses? Are you going to kill us too? We saw what you did to that slave master. So Moses runs for his life. He's scared. He's terrified. And so he runs for his life. Now he finds himself out in the desert. 40 years later, he's tending sheep. He goes from the palace to the sheep pen. He goes from, from excellent food to eating sheep. Right? He, he goes from a, a place of beauty to a place of wilderness. And maybe today you're in that place of wilderness. Maybe today you're, you feel like, man, I was, I was doing good with the Lord and me and him were like this. And now I just feel like I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I can't hear him. I can't see him. And my life is just not making sense. Or maybe today you've came here and you've never known Jesus and your whole life has been a wilderness experience. But I want to tell you, if you're in the wilderness today, you're in a good spot. Doesn't seem like a good spot. Doesn't feel like a good spot. But I'm telling you, it's in those wilderness moments that God turns our attention to him. There's something about being in the wilderness. There's something about being in those moments of, of unsurety that God somehow gets our attention. Do I have your attention? I don't think we realize that God is there all the time. Moses, wandering around the desert for 40 years, tending sheep on the backside of the wilderness. He wondered where God was. He wondered what happened. I could, I could sense his, maybe his disappointment. And maybe today you're in that wilderness of disappointment. But God wants to show you who he is today. But we're not aware of it. We don't realize what he's doing. We don't realize how he's working in our life. Are you aware today? I have a video I want to show you. It's an awareness test video. And I want you to pay close attention to see how aware you are of what's going on. Some of you may know this video. If you do, don't give it away. But watch this video, pay close attention, and see if you get it right. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go. The answer is 13. How many of you got that? All right, awesome, good counters. Did you see the moonwalking bear? There he is. The bear was there the whole time. See, so, so often we have our attention on other things. And we don't see 
what's right in front of us. And I'm telling you, my whole life, God was there in front of me the whole time trying to get my attention, but I wasn't paying attention because my eyes were stuck on something else. And, and maybe God was trying to get Moses' attention for all this time, but it was in that moment, that, that, that wilderness moment, that made him look up to see the burning bush. Maybe Moses was at that moment looking down at his situation, looking at sheep, wondering how he got there until he looked up and he saw God. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in that place where all you see is your circumstances. All you see is where you're at. All you see is what you lack. All you see is who you're not. And I'm telling you, the moment you look up and you see God, all those things will go away because he's calling to you. He's chosen you. Do you realize that God has chosen each and every one of you? Can you buy into that? That God chose you? Ephesians chapter 6. Where am I? I'm jumping around. Sorry, Justin. Ephesians chapter one says this, all praise to God, the father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. Before the world was created, he chose you. So you were chose first. Have you ever been chosen first? No, me neither. But God chose you first. Before he created the world, he knew. He knew everything about you. He knew what you would do, what you wouldn't do. He knows your motives. He knows your heart. But yeah, he still chose you. That's an incredible God. That's a holy God. That's someone who is devoted to you. And so all God is asking right now is for you to be devoted to him. He chose you. And he chose Moses in that moment. He's in the, the wilderness. He sends out the signal flare of the burning bush. Moses turns aside. He sees the bush. And what's he say? What is this thing? I must go see it. The translation that we're reading in, in the New Living just says he, he, he looked. But other translations say he turned aside. Meaning it's a physical act of going, what is that? And it's in that moment, I think, for a lot of us who became believers, that was the moment where, where our lives are changed. Because we turned aside from what we were doing, the mundane of the day, and we saw God in that moment, and we started moving towards God. Moses was moving towards God because God called him first. Here's the beauty about God. He, he always makes the first step. He's always trying to get our attention. But we have to move towards him, and then he moves towards us. He's always trying to get our attention, but we're not paying attention. John 6:40, Jesus says this about it's important to recognize and to see God, for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up in that day. It says, who see his Son. It's all who see him that believe. It's all who, who know him that believe. This is important that we see, that we observe, that we recognize who Jesus is. And the people began to murmur, murmur in disagreement because the, he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. If you read the rest of the, the passage before, he's talking about how he is the manna from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I'll raise them up. Jesus says, you can't come to me unless the father chose you. Only because the father chose you are you choosing me. God chose us first. And then we walk into it. That's how this thing works. 
And in this wilderness experience, Moses is out there. God chooses, chooses him. He sets up this flare in the middle of the wilderness. And he cries out to Moses. And, and Moses starts stepping into it in verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Moses replied. Notice that God doesn't call to Moses until he starts taking a step closer. There's just this burning bush. Moses sees it. He starts turning towards it. He starts walking up to him and say, I must see what this thing is. And then the moment he starts walking up towards this burning bush, God calls out to him. I think a lot of us do not hear from God because we're not close enough to hear him. I think a lot of us just sit back and say, God, where are you? Where are you? And he's up there saying, if you just take one step, I want to speak to you. God is an intimate God. God speaks to us in a whisper. Sometimes he yells at us. Sometimes he sends a burning bush. But most of the times when he speaks to me, it's in a whisper. It's a gentle voice. It's a gentle tug on my spirit. You know why? Because he's an intimate God. The people I whisper into their ear are people that I know intimately. And I trust them and they can trust me. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with his people, this intimate relationship where he can whisper into their ear, that he can tell them who they are, that he can tell them why he created them. And this is what he does with Moses. And this is what he does with us. And Moses, once he hears his name, his only response is this, here I am. When God calls your name, when God says your name and he calls you, your only response is, here I am, Lord. Here I am. The moment you gave your life to Christ, think about that moment. I'm speaking to believers here. The moment you gave your life to Christ, maybe you came to the altar. Maybe you stood up. Maybe it was in your home. I don't know where you gave your life to Christ. But in that, in that moment, this is what you said, essentially. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Take me, save me, make me whole, make me a new person because God, I'm done with this old person. And this is the only response you can have when you come face to face with God is here I am. You have my full attention. And so I notice what happens when God finally gets Moses' full attention. It's, it's quite puzzling. In verse five, he says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So why did God ask Moses to take his sandals off? What a strange request. He comes up there. He's like, okay, take your shoes off. So what's this thing about sandals? You know, I wish I could tell you exactly why he said this. I've looked it up for almost two weeks. I've been trying to dig at this thing. Now, what does this mean? What's, what's, the ancient, what's the cultural context? What's the history behind this? What's the theology behind this? What's the doctrine behind this? I've looked at so many sources, and every one of them are a little bit different. There's a lot of theories out there about exactly why and what taking off your sandals mean. One as simple as, well, if you come into somebody's house, right, you don't want to track dirt in, and so you take your shoes off. And I've even heard pastors preach on this and say, well, you know, you take your shoes off because God doesn't want you to track in what you, what was in the past. He wants you to come into him right there. And to a certain extent, I can buy into that. And 
you know, in your own house, you don't want dirt in your house, right? You don't want people tracking dirt. We have a little wiener dog. His name's Charlie. Charlie loves to dig. He's a wiener dog. And every time it rains, he loves to go outside and dig a big mud hole. Because in those mud holes, he finds frogs. My dog is a frog-licking dog. He's got a problem. I don't know if there's a program out there for him. But he's got issues. And so he'll go out there and he'll dig. And we know he's going to dig. And we try, we try to watch him. Then, then he tries to come back in the house. And his paws are just full of mud. I'm like, no way, brother. You're not coming to my house like that. And so we pick him up and we take him to the sink and we wash his paws off because we don't want stuff tracked into our house. And, you know, I think often even, I'm not going to be super spiritual here, but sometimes we track stuff in to God's presence. And he's like, don't bring that in here. There's also something about um, taking your shoes off as an act of humility. You see this in even other religions and other cultures it's an act of saying, this is, your pro- this is your property. This is your territory. I'm taking my shoes off because it's yours. And this is probably closer to the right, the right thinking here on this passage. It's an act of humility. It's an act of saying, okay, God, I'm coming to you on your terms. And so here's the one thing that I know is that God will only, God wants you to come to him in his terms, not ours. So often we want to come to God on our terms. But God's saying, no, you got to come to me on my terms. It doesn't matter if he asks you to take your shoes off, your socks off, stand on your head, do a backflip. It doesn't matter what he asks you to do. He's saying, come to me on my terms because he's the king. The king makes the rules. The king sets the standard. You can only enter his presence his way. And so, number one, we have to realize that God is God and we're not. And that when he asks us to do something, even though it doesn't make sense, we need to do it. We must come to him in his term, our terms, his terms, not ours. So often we want his blessings without commitment. We want his goodness without judgment. And we want his gifts without obedience. You want all the good things from God, but you don't want to do anything to get them. The late Derek Prince often would say this, God wants to give you things, but there's always conditions involved. We see this all through scripture. When God does a miracle, there's some kind of requirement that God requires. It's an act of faith. When Jesus healed somebody, he would tell them, well, now stretch out your hand. Now open your eyes, get up and walk. There's these requirements that God's saying, okay, now activate the faith that you have. And with God, it's the same way saying, you want to come to me? You got to come to me in my terms and you got to do this activation of faith. But we don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. Because we like to call the shots. We like to tell God how he needs to act and how he needs to respond to us. And God's saying, no, I'm the king. I know what's best. We just have to surrender to that. True story, there's a a woman that needed some help. And we tried to help her out, some people, lots of people. And we did. She needed a vehicle. And so by God's grace, we were able to get, there's some people that got a vehicle together for her. But she had some requirements. She had to do a couple of things before she could get it. And she never did. And I looked at that moment. And I'm like, this person has what they really need. 
Like, it's there. The keys are ready. It's, it's filled up. It's like, it's, it's running. It's a good vehicle. But they can't do the basic requirements in order to get the gift. And it wasn't anything hard. It was something very simple. And, and they can't do it because whatever reason. And they missed out on the blessing. And, and I think so many of us are like that. Like God has all this stuff for us. And we miss out on the blessing because we can't do the simple things that he's asking us to do. We can't, we can't take our shoes off because it's uncomfortable. But God's saying, listen, if you just obey me and do what I ask, there's a blessing involved. In the story of Joshua, when he's about to take the town of Jericho, they're walking up to Jericho and Joshua has this encounter with an angel of the Lord. And this is just interesting of what happens because I think we can learn from Joshua's um, response here, how we should respond. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? Neither one, he replied, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? When you meet the Lord, that's, that's the response. What do you want me to do? I am your servant. What do you need me to do? What's this thing you want me to do? And then notice the response again. The Lord's army, the commander said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did what he is told. Here's the thing I've learned. Obedience is the key to presence. If you want God to be present in your life, you got to obey him. You gotta, there's got to be some obedience in there. If you want God present in your situation, you got to have some obedience in your life. I'm telling you, and I say this all the time in here, a lot of our issues are not issues, they're lordship issues. Like, Lord, you are Lord of this and you're Lord of that, but you can't be Lord of my marriage. You can't be Lord over my children. You can't be Lord of my career. You can't be Lord of my finances. You can't be Lord of this because I got that. But that's not how God works. If you want to experience God's presence in all things, you got to give him all things. You have to be obedient and say, okay, God, I'm trusting you with my family. I'm trusting you with this relationship with my spouse. I'm trusting you with my children's well-being and their spirituality. I'm trusting you, Lord, with my finances. I'm trusting you with my job. With God, there is no halfway or half out, halfway in or halfway out. You're either fully in or you're fully out. And so you have to step into this obedient life that Peter is saying. He's saying, you didn't know any better then. You didn't know that God had so much good for you. You didn't know that God had so much blessing for you. But now you know, so stop acting like that. Stop running back to those things and live out the life that God has for you. We have to step into the obedient life. And sometimes that just means simply standing on stage barefooted. I wanted to wear my socks. So why, why is it holy ground? It's a good question. Just take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. The Bible dictionary explains it as this way. Holy ground is a location that is considered sacred, holy, or ritually pure. 
okay, what makes it holy, ritually pure? <laughs> and didn't really answer my question, sacred. What makes it that way? Um, it, it also says that it's a sanctuary building dedicated in service to God, a place in which the Lord is normally present when ritual or moral purity are practiced. The Hebrew word is kadosh. It means holy. It's a holy place. It's a place where God is present. And so I think if we break this down, an easier definition would simply be this, the place devoted to the divine activity of God. So what's, a holy, what's holy ground? It's a place devoted to the divine activity of God. What makes something holy? God's divine activity. God's present in that place. There was nothing special about this ground. It wasn't diamonds. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't rich soil. Look, I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Israel. I've seen the mountains and I've seen this area. It's not pretty. It's wilderness. It's just rocks and a little bit of scrub brush. Like you would, your sheep would run around there, but that's about it. There's nothing that set this mountain apart. It wasn't like Moses go, that's got to be God's mountain. It's so beautiful. What made that mountain, what made that bush, what made that spot holy was because the presence of God was there. And, and, and for me, that, that just, it riles me up. That's why I'm having a hard time this morning. Because if God's presence is what makes something holy, if God is present in your life, what does that make you? Oh, it's easy, right? And if I'm holy and God's presence is in me, then obviously I must be holy ground. What I mean by that is I'm just set apart dirt. In scripture, it talks about how God created man. It says he reached down, he grabbed some earth, he formed it, he breathed breath of life into it, and it became a living being. He set us apart and made us holy. We are just set apart dirt. We are holy ground. Here's the key in Exodus 3.12. And I want to focus on this for a minute. Moses, in this moment, he's on the mountain. God calls him and says, hey, I see the, the Israelites are suffering. I'm going to do something about them. I'm going to send you. And Moses, at that moment, gives a bunch of excuses. Lord, I don't talk well. Lord, I'm just a shepherd. Lord, I'm old. I'm 80 years old. I, send somebody else. There's got to be somebody else you can send, Lord. And, and, and he gives all these excuses and all these reasons why. And God's like, look, Moses, I told you to go. You better go. And he's like, well, if I go, then how are they going to know? And he says this. He goes, I will be with you. Exodus 3.12. I will be with you. So don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. And as Moses walked down that mountain and into his assignment, God was with him. God was with him when he showed up at Pharaoh's house. And he demanded that Pharaoh release the Israelites. That was holy ground because God was with him. When Moses performed the miracles and all the plagues happened, that was holy ground because God was with him. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, that was holy ground because God was with him. And Moses stood at the edge of the sea and he split the sea wide open and the people walked through. That was also holy ground because God was with him. And then as the people crossed over the sea and they got to the other side, what does it say? That God appeared to them by smoke during the day, fire during the night. I think that was a constant reminder to those Israelites that they are standing on holy ground because God was with them. 
And now for us as believers, God follows us. Yes, he's with us, but now he is also in us. His presence is in us. We get all of God. You know this? John 14, 23, Jesus replies, all who love me, here's that obedience thing again. We just can't get away from that, can we? All who love me will do what I say. How can you say, I mean, other, man, John really rips people into this. If you read some of his other letters, how can you say that you love me and you don't do what I say? And Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And then my father will love them and you will, and we will come and make our home with each and every one of them. Jesus says, when you love me, when you obey me, when you accept me, when you believe in me, I'm going to come into you and so is my father. It's going to be in your life, his presence in your life, but it doesn't stop there. God sends all of himself. And for and 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. First Corinthians says that his spirit is also in us. We get all of God in our lives. His full presence is in our lives. His manifest presence is in our life. Do you walk around and know that you're holy ground? Do you walk around and know that, that God's working in you and through you wherever you go? You know what that means? That means that not only is this holy ground, but as soon as I walk out the door, that's holy ground. As soon as I get in my car, that's holy ground. As soon as I get home, that's holy ground. For you, as soon as you go to work, when you sit down to work, that's holy ground. When you change a diaper, for you have kids that change diapers, that's holy ground. When you take out the trash, that's holy ground. When you do simple, mundane things, God is present in your life. I don't think we recognize God's presence in our life enough. Obedience is the key. Obedience is what we need to do when we know that God's present in our life. Because he's in us and he's telling us to do something. But we won't do it because we're making all these excuses. Why? And he's saying, I'm with you. What do you got to worry about? I'll make it happen. Moses didn't make any of that stuff happen. It was God's presence in with him that made all that stuff happen. And I'm telling you, you think you need to know all of it. You need to do all of it. But God's saying, just, just go. I'll handle it. I'm with you. And I love the rest of that passage. I don't think I put it up there. But in verse 12 and verse 11. Oh, yeah, verse 12, sorry, of chapter 3. God answered, Moses, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. So how is Moses going to know that God was with him? Was it the burning bush? Was it the, the splitting of the sea? Was it all the miracles? He's like, how am I going to know? He says this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. You know, often we don't realize God's present in our life until we get through something. And so God was telling Moses in this moment, you're, you're going to see me and you're going to think I'm with you. But when you get to this mountain, when you're free, when you're truly free and you come see me again on this mountain, you're going to know that I was with you. Because even before that, I'm sure Moses is like, God, are you really with us? Are you really with me? When he's standing up against the sea, he's like, God, are you really with me? Okay. But when he gets to that mountain, it's like, okay, God, you are really, really with me. 
And I think in, in your life, you need to get to that moment where you're like, God, I know you're with me. I've, I've seen you. I've seen your goodness. I've seen what you've done in my life. God, you've brought me out of the wilderness into a high place. You set me, uh, you gave me some, some footing to hold on to and do what you've, and I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I'm going to be obedient to you. Look, God asked us to do a lot. He asked us to preach the gospel. He asked us to heal the sick. He asked us to even cast out demons. But you can't do any of that if you're sitting on your couch. You can't do any of that if you're making excuses. You can't do anything unless you activate your faith and step out in obedience. You have to do your part. It's obedience that God's looking for. In the mundane and in the moment. There was a monk named Brother Lawrence. I've read, I've read a book called Practicing His Presence. No, that's not it. That's a different book. What was it? You don't remember it? Okay. You're not helping me out. But Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk. He was a Carmelite monk in the 1500s. And his, his whole thing was like, God is present in everything. God is present in my daily life. He's present in the mundane. He's, he's present in everything. And he, he, made this, he made this practice of God's presence. That's the name of the book, Practices in His Presence. Practicing His Presence. And he was a cook of all things. He was a cook and he cooked for his brothers and sisters in the monastery. But even in that kitchen, he said, I know God's present. I feel his presence when I'm cooking. I feel his presence when I'm cleaning. I feel his presence when I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. I feel his presence when I'm walking in the backyard. He knows that God is present. Do you know that God's present? Today, maybe you need to take your shoes off. Today, maybe you need to realize that God is with you. Maybe it'd be good practice for you as you go home today and you get in the mundane things that you have to do to kick off your shoes, feel the ground on your feet and God's presence in your life because he's with you, he's in you, and he wants to do something through you. But it just takes a step of obedience to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I see you. I'm turning my eyes towards you. And now I want what you have for me. So I don't know where you're at today, but God does. I don't know what he spoke to you today, but you do. So I want you to stand with me, would you? If I get the altar team to come up, this is how I want to close this morning. Today, maybe, no maybes. God has been calling to you. He's been trying to get your attention for many, many years. And for whatever reason, all you saw is circumstances. All you saw was distractions. All you saw was what wasn't there. And today he's saying, just turn aside to me. Look up. No, I'm here. 
I'm calling to you. I'm sending out a signal flare. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to scream to you saying, here I am, come to me. Look at me. I want to give you life. Stop living in the wilderness. I want to call you into a better life. And for whatever reason you haven't came to him, whatever reason you've been afraid to approach that mountain, and today he's saying, just take the first step. Just take the first step. And if that's you today, just take the first step. We have people up here at the altar that want to pray with you, that want to help you, that want to guide you. Just take the first step. So if that's you, just don't even wait for this altar time to stop. Just get up here and, and come immediately. Obedience is immediate obedience. And there's others in here that God has been telling you to do something and he's told you, look, I'm chosen you for this. And you're like, God, I don't know. Isn't there somebody better? There's gotta be somebody better. You got, you got a million excuses why you can't do it. It may just be flat out disobedience. But he's telling you, I made you, I chose you. I know what you're capable of. I know what's in your heart. I know what's in your spirit. Just trust me. It's not you. It's me working through you. Just trust him. Maybe that's today you. You just need to take a step of obedience to take the first step up that mountain. He's calling to you. So you can go ahead and come on if you need to come on. Then lastly, maybe today you need to have his presence in your life. You've never had the presence of God in your life. You don't know what that feels like. You don't know what that is. You don't know what it means to be filled with the spirit. Today, maybe that's what you need today. You need to be filled with the spirit. You need to have his power in your life. And you've been seeking it for a while and you haven't, and it hasn't happened. Just take a step of faith. That's all it takes. It's nothing you do. It's everything he does. And so today, if that's you, just go ahead and come up. If you need anything else and anything at all, let the God meet, let God meet you here. But you have to take that step. Be like Moses and say, what can, what is that? God's calling me. I'm going to go see. And I tell you, he will meet you here. So Jenna's going to lead us in a song. They're going to pray for you. God, do whatever you do. <laughs> God, do whatever you do. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these people. Lord, we just pray that you would meet them in this place. We love you. We thank you for your presence above all. In Jesus' name, amen.